0: Can't sleep? Don't want to sleep? Afraid to sleep? Are the windows closed? Are your doors locked? Did you check your closet? And under your bed? Maybe you should keep a light on in the hallway, just in case. Now settle in. Make yourself comfortable, lay back, close your eyes, and let me tell you a story. We've all experienced it to some degree or another, haven't we? Hearing voices in our heads, talking to ourselves, or maybe even someone else. For a few, it can be a debilitating condition. Some people think it is a latent psychic ability and we're actually receiving thoughts from other people. And others think these voices are something else entirely, something much more sinister, and something we should be very afraid of. They Hear Voices. Dr. Evan Corning drove down the quiet, winding highway. The road climbed a bit with every mile. His ears felt the change in altitude. His daughter, Darla, reclined in the passenger seat. Evan couldn't tell if she was sleeping or not. She would often spend long stretches awake with her eyes closed. Those were the times, she told him, when she could hear the voices most clearly. When she could talk to them as well. They're getting louder, she said, answering his unspoken question. Is that good? That's what we're going to find out, sweetie, Evan told her. I hope so," said the voice in his head. They were on their way to Kelly Manor, a unique institution specializing in the treatment of schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorders, and other related conditions, specifically those which caused people to hear voices in their heads. According to some studies, one in a hundred people experienced auditory hallucinations, many of them in a fairly benign way. Others, like Darla, could not function in their daily lives. The voices were a debilitating distraction sometimes so vivid that she had trouble distinguishing them from the real ones around her kelly manor offered hope they had a remarkably successful track record of helping people like darla evan was a psychiatrist himself it was a cruel irony that his own daughter was inflicted with this condition but after all it was his mother's lifelong battle with schizophrenia that had inspired him to go to medical school and specialize in psychiatry. He himself had experienced nothing beyond temporary bouts of depression, but the disorder tended to run in families. It had hit Darla hard from a very young age. As they drove on, the trees thinned until rocky meadows dotted with small herds of sheep surrounded them. He could see Kelly Manor in the distance now. It lived up to its name, resembling an old English estate surrounded by manicured gardens. The manor was an inpatient facility. Evan would be leaving Darla there. She'd stayed in various institutions before, sometimes for weeks at a time, but Evan was always nearby. For his own peace of mind, he had persuaded the chief of medicine at the facility to let him stay the night. Much of the staff lived on the grounds in a separate wing from the patients, and a room was waiting for him. Darla had told him she was looking forward to living at Kelly Manor. The voices very much approved The wheels of the car crunched on the stone driveway as they pulled to the front of the building. A man in a three-piece suit was waiting for them. He looked to be in the 60s, on the short side, balding with an unkempt goatee and a bit of a potbelly, upon which he rested the heels of his clasped hands. He smiled as they got out of the car. Welcome, welcome, he said as Dr. Corning and his daughter approached. How was your drive? It was beautiful, Evan said. The man didn't seem to hear him, though. He focused his attention on Darla. Evan noticed that his daughter's expression was matching the friendly smile of their host. "'It's louder here,' she said. "'Yes, it is, isn't it?' the man replied. He turned his attention to Evan and extended his hand. "'Hello, Dr. Corning. I'm Dr. Kelly,' he said. Evan shook his hand, a bit surprised. "'Any relation?' he asked. "'Yes.' "'My great-grandfather built Kelly Manor in the 1930s "'and oversaw its conversion to what it is now before he died. "'But I assure you, my position is not solely because of my ancestry. "'I worked my way through college as an orderly here, "'and once I finished my residency, I joined the staff. Forty years later, I am now the chief of medicine for the Institute.' "'Congratulations,' was all Evan could think to say. "'Shall we go inside?' he asked rhetorically. Dr. Kelly offered his hand to Darla, who grasped it with her own. He led her up the path to the stone steps of the manor. A man, who Evan assumed was a guard, opened the enormous wooden doors for them. He saw the sentry wore an earpiece connected to a hidden radio. He thought he could also discern a bulge under the man's jacket, which he hoped was for a taser or some other non-lethal weapon rather than a firearm. The inside still bore the hallmarks of an ornate home except for what appeared to be a registration desk that attempted to blend in with the decor. Dr. Kelly led them to the desk and introduced Darla to the woman sitting there. Evelyn, this is Miss Corning. I believe you're expecting her, he said. Evelyn smiled warmly. Of course. So nice to meet you. Can you show me your left wrist? she asked. Darla extended her arm toward the receptionist, and the woman snapped a plastic bracelet with a QR code printed on it around her wrist. Come, I'll show you to your room, Evelyn said, rising from her chair and crossing around the desk. Darla cast an inquisitive glance at her father. Evan nodded, and she happily went off with Evelyn down a hallway. Come, let's talk. I'm sure you have a lot of questions, Dr. Kelly offered. Evan followed Dr. Kelly in the opposite direction. They took a turn down a hallway that led toward the rear of the west wing of the building. The passage ended in an office that was likely once a drawing room. It was large, with floor-to-ceiling windows that opened out onto a flower garden at the rear of the estate. Dr. Kelly motioned for Evan to sit in a chair in front of the ornate desk, while he circumnavigated the oversized escritoire and settled into the high-backed leather chair behind it. He tapped out a few keys on a keyboard. A display built into the surface of the desk came to life, and Evan could see an electronic version of Darla's file. I see you have been dealing with Darla's condition since... Since she could speak, Evelyn explained. She was three when we realized she was hearing voices we couldn't. And your mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia? Yes. And yourself? What about me? Have you ever heard voices? Dr. Kelly asked. No, Evan replied instantly. Never? It's unusual for the condition to be so strong in someone's parent and child, and for that person not to experience something similar. I don't hear voices, Evan insisted. Sometimes he talked to himself in his head, but that differed completely from what he saw with his mother and how Darlin described her auditory hallucinations. It was just random thoughts rising to his conscious mind. Just random thoughts, assured the voice in his head. Dr. Kelly dropped the subject. Do you have any questions for me? he asked. Yes, Evan replied, leaning forward. How do you do it? Dr. Kelly smiled, as if he expected that to be Evan's first question. How exactly do you help people like Darla? I've done some research into your program. From the results you claim, it seems your methods are far more effective than any other medication or procedure, even electroconvulsive therapy. Yes, we are fortunate to be of help where other treatments have failed, he confirmed. So what's your secret? Dr. Kelly hit a key on his keyboard that darkened the inlaid display. He sat back, tenting his fingers over his belly, which seemed even more ample when he was sitting down. I'm not sure a medical doctor would understand, he said. The answer surprised Evan. Aren't you a medical doctor? Yes, I am. I also have a Ph.D. in theoretical physics. What does that have to do with schizophrenia? Evan asked. Everything, Dr. Kelly answered. He paused a moment, evaluating Evan's reaction to his reply. The reason we are so successful is that we recognize the fact that the voices that our patients hear are not auditory hallucinations. They are, in fact, quite real. I didn't see that coming, said the voice in his head. Evan was confused. Real? Yes, Dr. Kelly said. To put it plainly, they are the voices of interdimensional beings. Evan waited for Dr. Kelly to smile mischievously. But his visage remained serious. Interdimensional beings? Evan asked. Indeed. They are trying to make their way into our universe by projecting their consciousness into our dimension. In so doing, they inadvertently make themselves known to people who are sensitive to their efforts. I can't tell if you're being serious, Evan said, somewhat surprised by the revelation. It was not anything close to what he expected Dr. Kelly to tell him. I'm completely serious. Unfortunately, we don't know much more about them than that they exist, and their intentions are hostile. Evan sat back in his chair. Was he really hearing this man, who led one of the most esteemed psychiatric facilities in the country, tell him that his daughter was hearing aliens? I know it's a little hard to believe. Most people who work here have trouble accepting it at first. But once you've been here a while, the evidence becomes quite undeniable." It's utterly impossible to believe, Evan stated. In fact, I think maybe I made a mistake bringing my daughter here. Maybe I should take her home. That is your prerogative, Dr. Kelly said. But perhaps you should sit in in one of our group sessions before you decide, he suggested. See for yourself. See what? See how it works. How we battle the invaders. That might be interesting, said the voice in his head. Dr. Kelly. You have to realize that from where I'm sitting, you sound like a complete lunatic. And as a psychiatric professional, I despise the use of that word. Dr. Kelly smiled understandingly. Let me tell you the history of Kelly Manor, he said. Maybe once you have the full picture, you'll be more open to accepting the possibility that what I'm telling you is true. Evan relaxed. There was no way this man was going to convince him he was using patients suffering from auditory hallucinations to battle some interdimensional invasion. But he could also foresee that making a scene, storming through the facility to find Darla, and taking her home, might be counterproductive. All right, Evan conceded. I'll listen. Splendid, Dr. Kelly said. He rose from his chair and crossed to a wall, where several portraits hung. As I mentioned, my great-grandfather, Walter Kelly, who founded Kelly Manor, made his fortune during Prohibition, not as a bootlegger, I assure you. He was a purveyor of non-alcoholic tonics, then expanded the business into more traditional pharmaceuticals. His wife, much like your mother and daughter, suffered from a severe case of schizophrenia. He built this estate, far away from the noise and pollution of the city, hoping its isolation would help her. What he found, however, was that it had quite the opposite effect. The voices she heard became— Louder, this intrigued Walter. It was mere coincidence that led him to discover that other schizophrenics also experienced an amplification of the voices in their heads when they visited the manor. He recruited various doctors and scientists to investigate the phenomena. They were unable to discover what about this particular location affected these patients, but they did discover that the voices were saying similar things. Evan perked up when Dr. Kelly said that. "'Well, that's interesting,' said the voice in his head. "'What kind of similar things?' he asked. "'The best description came from my grandfather "'when he was freshly returned from World War II. "'He said it sounded like battlefield missives, "'adjustments in plans, changes in strategy. "'That's when Walter realized the voices "'were those of people planning to invade us. "'At first, since radio was just reaching its heyday at that point, He assumed it was secret radio transmissions on a frequency that some people could receive in their head by some physiological means. He thought there was an army of Nazis hidden among us, planning to take us over from within. That's ridiculous, Evan commented. Yes, looking back, you can make that assessment. But remember, after World War II, there were German scientists from multiple disciplines finding asylum in other countries. Rumors of Nazis escaping with the help of friendly governments, including ours, and, of course, Hitler's fascination with the supernatural, were rampant. It was easy to believe that they were planning some sort of invasion using a communication technology that, when detected, was written off as mental illness. Grandfather was absolutely right about it being an invasion, but he was completely wrong about it being the Nazis. He just didn't have the technology available to reveal the truth. It was the dawn of the Atomic Age that provided the answer, the discovery of different particles, and the invention of machines that could detect them. I became interested in the notion that there could be some sort of radiation involved. I went back to school to study physics and read as much science fiction as I could get my hands on. Science fiction? Evan asked. Oh, yes. Authors of speculative narratives are the ones to look to for thinking outside the box. To make a long story short, What I discovered was that there are emissions of various impossible particles emanating from different spots on the Earth. And one of those locations is right here at Kelly Manor. I believe it is a breach site, a place where the interdimensional beings have found a weakness in the barrier between our universes and are trying to force it open so they can pass through. Evan stared at Dr. Kelly. So that they can pass through? asked the voice in his head. Of course it's one thing for me to tell you all this but i think you'll better understand if i show you show me what show you the interdimensional beings forcing their way into our universe of course dr kelly consulted his watch then waved for evan to follow him as he led his guest out of the office and down the hallway that joined the two wings of kelly manor the patient area wasn't too different from the staff side There were digital locks on the doors, but other than that, it maintained the early 20th century charm of the rest of the stately home. They entered a large room. This one was mostly empty, except for a circle of antique upholstered chairs, arranged around a strange device that looked like a two-foot steel sphere resting on a pedestal, with wires connecting various points on its surface to different protuberances on the stand. Half a dozen men and women of varying ages occupied some of the chairs. Evan was relieved to see that Darla was not among them. "'Are we ready?' Dr. Kelly asked a woman, wearing a pale yellow lab coat. "'We're just getting started,' she reported. Dr. Kelly approached the circle and took a seat. Evan sat down next to him. "'Who's up today?' Dr. Kelly asked. "'Peter,' the woman replied. Dr. Kelly looked across the room to a tall, skinny man wearing a tattered bathrobe over striped pajamas. "'Good luck, Peter!' Peter nodded nervously, then pressed his hands over his ears as if that could silence the voices in his head. The woman in the yellow lab coat approached the device in the center of the circle and tapped at a display on its side. It hummed to life. The sphere lit up with a bluish electronic glow. Evan could feel the hairs on his arms and the back of his neck tingling. Peter started shouting. Stop it! Be quiet! Why are you doing this to me? Then, the glow around the sphere brightened to a blinding white. The hum grew louder. Evan raised a hand to shield his eyes. Then he saw it. A shimmering figure appeared next to Peter. The device emits a shower of particles that reacts with the interdimensional breach, Dr. Kelly explained to Evan. That's what allows us to see them. We're viewing the interaction between the breach and the particles. Fascinating how it assumes the form of the being. They almost look human, don't they? Evan looked closer at the shimmering silhouette. It had two arms and two legs, a torso and a head on a neck. But the proportions were all off. It was definitely not human. Now, Peter, the woman said. Peter looked up and saw the shape in front of him. He rose to his feet and stared at the being. It seemed to stare back at him. He walked forward into the space the alien's interdimensional shadow occupied. The shimmering engulfed Peter. He arched his back and screamed. Then he collapsed to the floor. The woman switched the machine off and went to make sure Peter was breathing and had a pulse. She gave an affirmative nod to Dr. Kelly. What the hell was that? Evan asked. Could this really be what Dr. Kelly says it is? asked the voice in his head. When someone who is receptive to the voices of the interdimensional beings interferes with the attempted breach, By occupying the same space, it causes a counter-reaction, the doctor explained. Imagine the boundary of our two dimensions as a large rubber band stretched between two trees. The beings on the other side walk into it, stretching it. The closer they get to us, the more force the rubber band exerts to pull them back. They hope that the rubber band will break and they will cross over into our world. But when Peter stepped in its path, it snapped back to where it came from. This has the added benefit of permanently severing the patient's connection to the other dimension. No more voices. Peter sat up, confused. The woman in the yellow lab coat helped him to his feet. He smiled at her as if a great burden had lifted from him. That's unbelievable, Evan said. Yes, yes it is. And yet, you just saw it. Evan joined Dr. Kelly and some of his staff for dinner in a grand dining room. No one spoke about the events that had transpired earlier, nor anything to do with interdimensional beings. They teased one another about sports team rivalries, and talked about the weather and running and various fad diets they wanted to try, just like regular people. He was assigned a room. It was comfortable and quiet, but he laid unsleeping on his bed nonetheless. Was it possible that Darla was hearing the voices of aliens from another universe, that his mother had as well? And what about you? asked the voice in his head. At some point, fatigue overcame his desire to wrestle with this new reality, and he fell asleep. In the morning, he visited Darla in her room. She was deep in conversation with one of her voices, who appeared to be taunting her. He had determined the previous evening that despite what Dr. Kelly had shown him, he was going to take her home. But now, he wasn't sure. She should stay. They could help said the voice in his head. What if they actually could help Darla? Even if Dr. Kelly's explanation was pure fantasy. Whatever he was doing was working. What if he could free his daughter of this curse and give her a normal life? Shouldn't he do that? Yes, you should, said the voice in his head. Come in, Dr. Kelly said in response to the knock at his office door. Peter opened it and walked into the office, looking around at the various extravagances in the room as he made his way to a chair in front of the desk. He sat down and the two men stared at one another. And then Dr. Kelly smiled, conspiratorially. Peter looked at the doctor, studying his face, a glint of recognition causing him to smile back. It worked, the younger man said, surprised. Of course it did. I wasn't sure. it's hard to see in this body. Its senses are so dull. You'll get used to it. So how are things on the other side? Not good, Peter sighed. The entropy is accelerating. We need to move faster. Dr. Kelly nodded. The being inhabiting the doctor found it amusing that people of this world were so easily convinced that he was denying his kind entry to this universe, when in reality, he was facilitating it. Ever since the first successful breach, Dr. Kelly's own possession by the being known as Krillar, the evasion had proceeded slowly but surely. Over the years, they had made adjustments to Dr. Kelly's device to help widen the breach, not seal it like they had told the humans. Each patient who had been cured had actually had their consciousness supplanted by a refugee from the other side. Only the thoughts and memories of the interdimensional beings could cross the breach, but it was enough. Ever since they had discovered the soft spot between their universes, and minds on the other side receptive to communication with themselves, they knew there had to be a way to use it to escape the hastening demise of their own dimension. It was a bold plan, but they were desperate. Fortunately, the technology of the humans had advanced to where creating the device that perforated the barrier from their side was possible. All it had taken was the right nudges in Dr. Kelly's susceptible mind a subtle voice in the human's head urging him to look into certain lines of research. Try this. Build that. He thought he was fighting against the invaders, while he was actually making a foothold in their world possible. At that first breach, Krillar overlaid himself onto the doctor, replacing the human's consciousness with his own. He had access to all of Dr. Kelly's memories and thoughts and full control of his body. The human form was imperfect, "'a pale imitation of their original selves. "'But it was better than extinction. "'The transitions are becoming easier "'the more of us there are on this side,' Krillar explained. "'It didn't feel easy,' Peter, or rather Tlechman, complained. "'Trust me. "'Compared to what I went through, it was a walk in the park. "'Eventually the opening in the barrier will become permanent, "'and our compatriots will be able to freely cross "'their consciousnesses from our dimension into anyone here.' not just these damaged people. "'How long will that take?' T'Lekmon asked. "'Not too much longer. We should be able to make the breach permanent soon.' "'Do you ever feel guilty?' T'Lekmon asked. "'I mean, it's not their fault that their universe is next to ours.' "'Survival of the fittest is what I believe they call it here,' Krillar said offhandedly. "'They had their chance to stop us, and they failed.' Are there enough of these damaged minds for us to possess to make it happen? There are, Krilar said with confidence. He brought the computer screen embedded in his desk to life and called up a file. Dr. Evan Corning's face appeared, surrounded by alien text that continually shifted and morphed. All we need is a little help to bring them here. Evan said his goodbyes and kissed Darla on the forehead. He left her room and walked back down the large, empty corridor to the front door. On the way, he passed the patient he had witnessed undergo Dr. Kelly's treatment. Peter, isn't it? Evan asked. The man nodded, smiling. He held a radically different posture, had cleaned himself up, combed his hair, and put on street clothes instead of pajamas. I saw what happened to you in that breach room. How are you feeling? I feel incredible, Peter replied. And the voices? Gone. It's like I've been reborn, he said gleefully. Have a safe trip home, Dr. Corning. Yes, home. We must go back. Find others we can help and bring them here, said the voice in his head. Evan walked toward the giant front doors, trying desperately to remember if Dr. Kelly had called him by name when they had witnessed Peter repel the invader. Dr. Corning stepped out into the bright, warm morning sun to his waiting car. A renewed sense of purpose and determination propelled him as he drove off, blissfully unaware of humanity's impending doom. Quickly, we have so much to do, said the voice in his head. Thank you for listening to They Hear Voices, written especially for the Bedtime Stories for Insomniac's Fiction podcast by Rich Hosek. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, Rate us on Apple, Spotify, and Audible, and share these stories with anyone who enjoys audiobooks. Speaking of audiobook, the audio versions of Rich Hosick's novels are currently available on this very podcast. And if you're looking for other original story podcasts, check out asreadbyme.com. They have an eclectic mix of fiction, poetry, and essays that are sure to keep you entertained, all read by the authors. For more information about this podcast, visit bedtimestories.studio. And you can find out more about the host of bedtime stories for insomniacs at richhosick.com. Thanks again and all the very best.